Psalms chapter 19, we, we're making our way, Lord willing, we'll do 19 through 21 tonight, um, pick up some speed. Last week we just did chapter 18, but it was a great, it was a great study. Let's just read through it, and, uh, and then we'll, and we'll dive in. For the choir director, Psalm of David, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, and the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. As the heading in your Bible says, this was written to the choir director. It's a psalm of David. We find that in the Psalms 55 times where they're, uh, they're written to the choir director. That is, again, to say that this was intended to be a part of corporate worship, public worship. There's no specific time frame in mind for this psalm. We don't know at what point David wrote this, but that's okay. You know why? Because this psalm is not necessarily centered on David and his circumstances. This psalm is centered on God and his glory. No doubt whatever time it is that David is writing this psalm, he was most likely reflecting on the many days and many nights that he spent out in the fields as a shepherd boy caring for his father's flock. And it would be most likely there that he'd be lying there in the fields looking all around at creation the night sky and just seeing the stars or the beautiful blue skies throughout the day or just whatever that looks like for him. David probably would maybe have a harp in his hand and just spending time in worship before the Lord, composing, writing psalms, writing music. And in all of that, Whatever time frame that David was, whether he wrote it years later, he's just reflecting on those seasons of his life out in the fields, or or maybe he's there in the thick of things as a shepherd. Out of all of that, he sees the hand of God, and he writes this down in verse 1 again. Let's look at it. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. 
day-to-day pours forth speech, and night-to-night reveals knowledge. Again, David is talking about the glory of God, and whether, again, he's riding from the fields with a harp in hand, or he's reflecting on a time when he was in the field with the sheep, just looking at creation, he says, man, the glory of God is revealed in it all. He says, when I look at the heavens, that is the skies that he's talking about, the vastness of the sky, the beautiful blue skies that we don't get to see often here in the Northwest, but, um, but when he looks at the stars at night even, when I see the moon just glowing in all of its radiance and just beauty, David says, God is revealing himself to us in this way, in his creation. Now, I don't know about you, but I find myself guilty far too often of not quieting my life enough to do this very thing. When I'm just putting myself in situations where I'm just sitting outside before the Lord and his creation. Uh, I'm more of a city guy, so like skyscrapers like kind of do it for me. But you know, but I need to do this more often where I just sit out there and just look at the wonders, the beauty of his creation. Allow him to reveal himself, make himself known to me. Again, like David's doing here in this chapter. Now, a couple of days ago, I, had, um, I went to the Oregon coast or, or near the Oregon coast with a couple of my brother-in-laws and, and a couple of buddies. My, one of my brother-in-laws is getting married pretty soon. And so we did the bachelor party thing. And around midnight, someone had the great idea, like, let's drive to the coast. Let's drive to the ocean. And um, that, I was ready for bed, but, you know, it wasn't my party. And I didn't want to be, because every party has a, you know what I'm saying. So I didn't want to be that person. And so I'm like, okay, let's get in the car. And so we drove the 30 minutes to Lincoln City to see the ocean, to see the ocean, you know, at night, at midnight. And when I got out of the car, we parked across the street from the ocean, out of the car, you can hear you can hear just the roaring of the waves, right? It's amazing, it's an incredible sound. But I looked up, and I probably annoyed all the guys I was with. But man, it was like this clear night sky, and I was overwhelmed. I was like, "Oh my gosh, look at all of the stars!" Like I'm used to clouds, and I'm used to just nothing up there. And I was just I was blown away. This was just a couple days ago at the Oregon coast, and the guys were like, "Yeah, that's nice, that's nice." And so you have the the ocean just roaring in the background. But you look up and you're just like, wow, Lord. Like, and and I, I, when I was there, I was thinking about verses like this. Man, the heavens are proclaiming the glory of God, the skies. Look at God's creation. The New Living says this, the skies dis- display his craftsmanship or his handiwork. Every day, he says, from day to day, from night to night, there's no end. It's not limited to daylight hours. But God is just revealing himself, his glory, his wisdom, his knowledge, it says. David says that it it pours forth speech. In other words, it speaks just continuously, just constantly revealing there is a God. There is a creator who made all of this. Paul says in in, in Romans 1, um, ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they, man, have no excuse for not knowing God. Again, we live, though, in a culture where this world does not want to hear about creation. You guys aware of that? It doesn't want to hear about a creator. They, it would, they would rather just chalk it up to just happenstance or, or explain it away some, somehow. And Nathan can give you a better scientific argument, you know, for why they do that or whatever. He's a science teacher. 
But again, Romans and Paul is saying that they're without excuse, that creation itself, God's creation, is speaking to them continually. It's, now, it's not preaching the gospel to them, right? It's not, they're not, it's not saying like, hey, bro, like, you're a sinner, you're a great sinner, God, Jesus is a great savior, like, repent of your sins. No, 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 it's not saying that. But creation is just continually speaking forth the evidence, the existence of God, that there is an intelligent design that has happened. There's an all-wise, all-powerful something out there. Go find him. Verse 3, there is no speech, though, nor are there words, their voice. The testimony of creation is not heard. Again, it's constant, but it's not audible. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. Again, God is revealing himself, not through this audible source. David says there's no words. There isn't a voice to be heard yet, it says. Yet. It doesn't matter what language someone speaks. It doesn't matter how far out. You know, the, the famous question is, how about that one person in the remotest island where there's no other human beings? Like, do they know about God? Yes, he's saying. God's creation, the message has made itself known to them. That's why Paul can say, there's no one without an excuse. The testimony of God, again, has gone out throughout all of creation. You can't say you didn't know about God because he's revealed himself to you one way or the other. And it's not just that one time. That's the cool part. It's not just one time. You, oh, you missed it. It was last Monday. No, no, this is continually. He's constantly revealing himself through creation. So if someone ends up in hell one day apart from God for all eternity, it will not be because they didn't hear about the Lord. It, it wouldn't. In them, look at the end of verse 4, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end. And there's nothing hidden from its heat, except for Portland about a couple of weeks ago. Just kidding. Here David is talking about the greatness of the sun. Again, one part of God's creation. And again, no doubt, spent many days, many nights, lying in the field as a shepherd. He's seen the sunrise. He's seen it set. And there, again, there's nothing more beautiful than sunrises, sunsets. And he uses this metaphor here to describe it. He says, it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. A bridegroom dressed in, in his greatest, his finest apparel, just beaming with joy and excitement at the wedding as he's leaving his chamber. And the public nature of such an occasion would involve the whole village, the whole community. Everyone who lives in the community would be part of the wedding celebration. If you lived in the town, you couldn't miss the event, right? It's a, it's a, it's a community party. It's grand. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's invited to it. Plans have been made. And David is paralleling the picture of the bridegroom on his wedding day to the re revelation of God. You can't miss it, he's saying. It's grand. Everyone is talking about it. And to, to not be present at such an event, a wedding event, would signify that simply you did not care or you had just ongoing hostility toward you and the family of the bridegroom. But you didn't go because you didn't know anything about it. That's not why. And so he likens the son to the bridegroom or, or to the strong man who's running his course. 
And he says it, it rises from one end of the, to the heavens to the other. The sun, again, is just an amazing example. And he's using it to display that or to talk about the glory of God. So that's God revealing himself in creation. And now David is going to turn to the word of God. God revealing himself in his word. Look at verse 7. It says, the law, that's the Torah in the Hebrew, of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. I love that. It says, God's word is perfect. It's whole. It's complete. It's without blemish. It's lacking nothing. That's the word of God. Amen? That's the entirety of Scripture that you and I have. For David, it was just the Torah. It was just the books of the law. But for us, it's the entirety of Scripture. It's perfect. I think of Jesus' words. He says, man, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Word of God, Paul, Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, is God-breathed. It's from God himself, and it's perfect. And there are benefits that, that David's going to write about to the word of God. You know, the psalmist later on would say, I think it's Psalm 119, that the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I love that verse because we need some light in the darkness. Amen? And it's found in the word of God. And David says that there's another, though, there's another benefit to the perfect word of God. He says, what does it say? The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. I love that. The idea behind the word restore in the Hebrew is more of a description of to call people back to the Lord. So yes, the, the, the word of God restores, it brings renewal, but it does so much more than just that reviving. The word of God in its perfection calls us to repentance, to come back to the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The, King, the new King James says, converting the soul. The Son Listen, the sun or the moon or the stars, no matter how grand they are, that they can't do that. That's a work of the word of God. All of the beauty of creation can't do that. The roaring of the ocean can't do that. The word of God is the only thing that can do that. And it's through creation that God is revealing himself to us, the existence of God, but it's through his word that we get to know God, to know him intimately. So creation says, yes, there is a God. He's out there. Discover him. Find out more about him. And, you know, but the word of God says, here's who he is. Get to know him. David goes on to say, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That is the word of God. It's reliable. It's certain. And he says, it makes wise the simple. I appreciate that, don't you? makes wise the simple. We, have, we don't have to go to seminary to, to understand and to gain wisdom from the word of God, but rather anyone, anyone, that doesn't matter how old you are, or young you are, how smart you are, how dumb you are, it doesn't matter how simple in life that you like to live, you can come to the word of God because it is sure, it is reliable, it is true, and you can gain wisdom from it. Isn't that incredible? Verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart, the precepts or the commands of the Lord. He says, they're right. Spurgeon once said, as a physician gives the right medicine and a counselor the right advice, so does the word of God. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commands, and it says rejoicing. That's the benefit is rejoicing of the soul. Listen, if you're struggling tonight, if you've been having a hard time in your life, 
Let me encourage you, get into God's word. Get into God's word. I know Pastor Doug has said it many times and he's always counseled us. Many times, like if you're struggling, if you're just finding yourself depressed, like get into the Psalms. <laughs> the Psalms have a way of speaking to us on our lowest days. And here David says the word of God is right and it can cause your heart and my heart to rejoice, to find joy, no matter the circumstance. He goes on to say, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. I love the word pure. The word of God isn't tainted. It's not marred. It's not defiled, but it's pure. God himself is pure. His, God is holy. So therefore, his word is pure. His word is holy. His, his word will never lead you to impurity. God's word will never tell you or, or lead you in a direction that is sinful. Why? Because it's pure, it's, he says. It's pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. I love that. Endure, enduring forever. To rightly know God isn't to be afraid of him in a freaked out way. That's not clean fear. That's fear fear. But to know God rightly is to stand in awe of him. The person who reads God's word, meditates on God's word, studies God's word, they're going to have a deep appreciation for God and his majesty and his glory and his greatness. They're going to have this fear of the Lord. And that kind of fear is clean, he says. And he says in verse 9, at the end, the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. And so David is, is summarizing these six-ish aspects of the word of God. He said the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. And he says these are righteous altogether. They are true there's nothing false. There's nothing unrighteous about it. His word, God's word, it's perfect. It's complete. It can be trusted. Now, what is this word worth to you? How valuable is God's word in your life? Look at verse 10. This is David. It says, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. David says, the word of God is more desirable than gold. Like what? This is the word of God that revives the soul he was just talking about. The word of God that can be simple enough to understand and give wisdom again to the simple. The word of, this is the word of God that can bring joy to the grieving heart. This is the word of God that endures forever. Again, as Jesus says, like heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. When everything else in your life is sinking sand, you're falling down, you're tripping over life, it's the word of God that is a solid foundation for you. It's the word of God that steadies you, that anchors you. And David says, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the whole world. Actually, I wouldn't even trade it for the finest of gold, the preciousness of gold. Do you value God's word like that? Do I value God's word like that? Or do I take it for granted? King David, man, he's a super wealthy guy. He knew a thing or two about gold and fine gold. But he knew the, the word of God was more valuable than anything. The word of God was to be treasured more than anything that he could place in his earthly treasury. I think of the words of Jesus when he said in Mark 8.36, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? That's a lot of gold, by the way, but loses his soul, forfeits his soul. David says the word of God is sweeter than honey. 
and the drippings of honeycomb. For David, it just goes beyond just having this hot commodity, a valuable resource. For David, the word of God is something experiential. It's a tangible pleasure that he can experience. He says, it's sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I think of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He says, honey's great, honey's sweet, but God's word is sweeter still. Look at verse 11. Moreover, by them, by the word, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Why, why else is the word of God more valuable than gold, more sweeter than honey? David says the word of God gives warning. Warning in a way that wealth can't do that to you, right? Honey can't do that. Earthly pleasures can't give you warning, but it's the word of God that brings about this warning. The word of God that has been given to us to direct us, to guide us in relationship with the Holy Spirit. The word of God, uh, or the world, I should say, and all of the money in it can't offer us that kind of guidance, that kind of warning. The world doesn't like to be guided, doesn't like to issue those things. We live in a culture, and you guys know it better than I do, that everyone wants to do what's right in their own eyes, right? They don't, they're not looking for guidance anymore. They're not looking for direction or, or, or redirection and correction. And David says there's a good thing that comes from the word of God, and it comes in the form of a warning. Whoa, 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 slow down, consider. And he says that in them, in keeping them, I should say, that is the word of God, it's a great reward. He doesn't say if you keep them, then you get a reward. He just says rather in keeping them, it is a reward. It is a great reward. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. David is just reflecting in the psalm of the word of God and the warnings that it provides to the believer. And he's dwelling on the rightness of God's word, thinking about the fear of the Lord that's clean. I believe it's making him, like it should make us, do some inward reflection here. And listen, anytime you and I are faced with the word of God, mixed with the spirit of God moving in our midst, we should allow the Lord, we should give him space to search us, to speak to us. You know, that's why on Sunday mornings especially, we, we've, we've, throughout the years, we've shortened up the, the beginning sets of worship and we've tried to um, extend it more on the back and after the message. And, and that was intentional. It wasn't just because we got bored and we wanted to change things up. But it, it, but it was all an effort to say the word of God is living and it's active. And like what David's saying here, it, it's going to confront you on some days. It's going to encourage you on other days. And it's time to respond to that. How would the spirit have you respond to that? And that can look like so many different things. For some people, they take advantage of it and they come and kneel at some, some weeks. Some, they get, they get prayer by others and others, they're weeping or they're kneeling in their chair or, and they're confessing sin. I don't, I don't know, whatever it is. But this is an intentional time that we need to take as a, as a, a collectively, as a, as a church family, to sit, as we sit under the word of God, to allow it to examine us, to allow it to search us deep and then respond to it. To not just be hearers of the word. That's the dangerous thing. That we would just be hearers of the word and not let it go deep and actually change our lives. So do we come on Sundays? Do we come on Wednesdays? Do you, do you go to your home group and say, oh, Lord, I, I, you want to change me? How do you want to change me? You want to make me more like Jesus? What, what ways? I need to be more like Jesus in my life. 
And David is just reminded here of the truth of God's word. He's convicted. He doesn't just run out the door so he can beat everyone to the restaurant after church. He says, who can understand his errors? I can't. So he says, acquit me or cleanse me from my hidden falls. Lord, I, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm, Lord, I know I've fallen short. Lord, I know I've messed up. Would you cleanse me? Would you, would you, would you cleanse me? Not just of, of the sins that I know I've committed, but would you go even deeper than that? Would you cleanse me, Lord, of the ones that I don't even know that I've committed? Also keep me, in verse 13, back, also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great uh, transgressions. David's saying, okay, Lord, you got me. Not just the sins that I've done, not just the sins that I, I don't know that I'm committing, but also cleanse me from those presumptuous sins. Keep me from them as well. Those sins that I'm proud of, that I'm doing with full knowledge. Lord, when, when I know better and I still disobey, God, would you help me? Would you lead me? Would you redirect me? I'm giving you permission. The, the New Living says, keep your servant from deliberate sins. What are those deliberate sins in your life? Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. David knew that if he addressed the sin in his life, both the inward and the secret, the hidden sins that no one else knows about, but also the outward, the presumptuous sins, the deliberate sins, that he could be acquitted, that he would be blameless, that he would be free from guilt, from shame, from, forgiven from all of his sins. And then David rounds out this chapter in verse 14. I love these words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David says, Lord, may I honor you not just with the words that I speak, but in the way that I spend my time thinking. All the things that I think about, Lord, would those things honor you, bring honor and glory to you? May it be acceptable in your sight. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, you know, the Bible says that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So if we get the heart right, I don't, I don't think we'd have to worry too much about the mouth. But let me ask you tonight, what does your heart meditate on? I'm asking myself that too. What am I meditating on? What's my heart set on? What's your, what's your heart set on? What does your heart want more than anything else in this world? The Bible says to watch over or to guard your heart above all else, for from it flows the springs of life. Everything you do flows from that place in your heart, not from your you know, intellect, not from your intelligence, not from your brain, but from your heart. Lord, may the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That's a good prayer, amen? Lord, let me, help me honor you with everything about me. Because we can fool, here's the thing, we can fool each other with the words that we say. But the Lord knows the heart. Think of the Pharisees. You know, we've been talking a lot about the Pharisees on Sundays. Jesus had some harsh words for them. He says, man, you guys honor me with your lips, right? But your hearts are far from me. Chapter 19, wow. Lord, what a great prayer. The, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight.
Now let's look at chapters 20 and 21. They go together. These two chapters are they're a pair. They're both Psalms of David. They're both written to the choir director. Psalm 20 was a song written uh, before the battle. It was a prayer. Before the battle, whenever they were going, they would pray this over the king, over the military. Psalm 21 is, a, um, is just a praise after the battle, after the victory. So let's dive right in. We're, we're going to go through it rather quickly. There's a lot here. I think the Lord will minister to us along the way. May the Lord, this is a prayer of the people. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Again, this is a psalm that the people would pray to the Lord before the battle. As the king would ready himself before the battle, this is what the, the, the people would just be praying for. And David, he's recorded it here for us. He says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. They're praying this over David. And we're not sure the, the exact context, who the enemy is exactly, but we know the battle's real. The enemy is real. Same for our lives. The battle's real. The enemy's real. And their first request is that they would find themselves in a, in a troubling spot that, Lord, when they do, Lord, would you hear them and would you respond? Not David. David was a mighty warrior, mind you. David was the guy who slayed the, slayed the giant. Not the military, but, Lord, would you? They were placing all of their confidence, all of their faith, all of their trust in the Lord. Lord, when we're in the thick of things in our lives, and we don't know what's going on. We, we feel a little overwhelmed. The intensity of the battle is happening. Would you help? Lord, would you remember your covenant? Would you remember all of our offerings to you that we worship you? Lord, would you respond to us? Would you help us? Our hope's not in David, Lord. Though it could have been. David, the giant killer, but the people knew that if they were to win this battle, if they were to make it out on the other side, they needed the Lord. They needed a supernatural deliverance. And then they said with all confidence in verse 5, we will sing for joy over your victory. Again, this is all before the battle. We will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. The people had so much trust in God's deliverance that by faith they're setting up their banners in anticipation of what God is going to do. You see that? The victory flags are flying high. Notice, before the victory. Listen, when you find yourself in a battle and you know the Lord is with you, you too can have confidence that he will show himself victoriously to you. Amen? So David responds. Now, that is not to say I'm not saying every battle. That's the Lord. He's working in your midst. He's led you kind of through it or to it. So he's going to lead you through it. Not every battle is worth fighting in your life. And some of you, you've, you've picked battles you shouldn't have picked. You're fighting battles you shouldn't fight. That's not the victory I'm, not, I'm talking about. But this is the Lord naturally in your life. He's led you to it. He's going to lead you through it. He's going to provide the victory. And we can just stand in that victory and claim that victory. And so David responds now after this prayer. 
Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. David's response here is drenched in confidence. He says, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer from heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing truth? It's the same thing we saw last week, that the Lord hears us in our time of need and he responds to it. These aren't idle prayers of the people just going up and we're just crossing our fingers and everything like hoping, hoping that he comes through. No, 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 the Lord will do this. He will hear. He will respond. Now look at verse 7. Some, we know this verse, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord, our God. They have bowed down and fallen. But we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord, may the king answer us in the day we call. David is well aware what kings, what military powers usually, normally put their trust in. They go, when they go into a, kings, when they go into an intense battle, you trust in a human strength. You, 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 you sized up your army. You looked at your arsenal. You looked into the shape and the, and the quality of your equipment, the stamina of your horses or whatever. And David says, not us, not us, Lord. We trust in the Lord our God and from him victory will come. David, he's drawing this contrast. He says that they trust in those things, but we trust in the Lord. Let me ask you tonight, you might be in an intense season in your life. Who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Some do. Some place, place their trust in natural things. And I think that's the natural tendency of our flesh. We, we kind of look at our budget again. You know, we're, all right, we'll, we'll rob, <laughs> rob this area and fund this area and, 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 and whatever. We start looking at our 401k or, or just trying to find victory in other things. And David's like, no, 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 the Lord, we're trusting the Lord. So who are you tonight trusting in? It's all part, again, of our human tendencies to run to other things. But the call tonight is to run to the Lord. When we run to other things for security, for victory, for whatever, we miss out on what God wants to do in us and through us if we would just simply trust him. So what does God want to do in your situation, in your life? Can I just say this? Trust him. Look to him first. George Mueller said this, Be assured if you walk with him, that's the Lord, and look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you. Not my words. The greatest thing that we can do and the greatest thing that you and I can take away from this tonight is always kneel before the battle. Kneel before the battle. This is before the battle. <laughs> this is before they've gone out and they've, they've, they've gone into the intensity of the fighting. They're kneeling, they're praying, they're seeking the Lord. And you know what? The, just the, the result of seeking God and just being realigned to him and his purposes and his ways, therefore we don't put our trust in things other than the Lord. So kneel before the battle. Chapter 21, as we come to this chapter, victory has been won. 
The enemy has been defeated. The people are just reflecting on what has all taken place. This is a psalm giving thanks. Again, it's after the battle. Oh Lord, in your strength, that's who we're calling upon. We're calling upon the Lord, not in David's strength, not in the military's might. Oh Lord, in your strength, the king will be glad. And in your salvation, how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and you have not withheld the request of his lips. Say, law. just think about that. Pause for a moment right at that. You've done this, Lord. Now, now, real quick, if you have a paper Bible, it's probably easier than your cell phone, but look over at chapter 20, verse four. The people prayed this. They said, may he grant you your heart's desire. And now here in verse two, after the battle, David says, you have given him his heart's desire. You have not withheld the request of his lips. Lord, you've answered it. You've answered it. You've responded, Selah. Pause, think about that. The Lord heard and the Lord responded. The Lord came through. Dwell on that for a second. The Lord heard your cry. Verse three, for you meet him with the blessing of good things, not bad things, good things. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. David's just reflecting on the fact that he could see the blessings of God. He's saying, Lord, you met me with these blessings, the blessings of good things. You came out. I wasn't looking for them. You met me with them. He asked life of you. You gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. He says, Lord, you've preserved me. I beg you to save my life, to meet me in the midst of the battle. And you did. You're so faithful forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you place upon him, for you make him bo- or you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. Here's the reason for victory. Here's the key. Here's the, the pinnacle, if you will, of the psalm that they, 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 they would sing after the battle. After the battle is won. It's verse 7. For the king trusts in the Lord. The reason the prayer of Psalm 20 was answered was because David went into battle not trusting chariots, not trusting in horsemen. He went into battle trusting in God. He went into his situation, super difficult battle like we all do in our lives. But the question is for us tonight is will we trust the Lord or will we trust something else? David is saying on the other side of the battle, He's already come out. He's victorious. He's in victory mode. But he says the reason for it all was because the king trusts in the Lord. And through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Because of what the Lord has done, because of what God does, we are on solid ground. Verse 8, your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. And you will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger, and the Lord will swallow uh, them up in his wrath and fire will devour them. Like David is expressing just his confidence. God's gonna judge his enemies. He's gonna take care of them. God is gonna stand with his people, not just in the past, not just in past battles, but in future battles. They can trust him for the future. Their offspring, that, that's their enemies. You will destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. Though they intended evil against you and devised a plot, they will not succeed. I love that. God is the one who's victorious. God has you. 
for you will make them turn their back. You will aim with your bowstrings at their face. That is their enemies. They're going to come to face to face with the Lord who's ready for battle. They're going to face their judgment. Not going to be a great day for them. And then in verse 13, he rounds out the psalm. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your name or praise your power. The only right response to God moving in your life is worship, is praise. Acknowledging, God, you've done this. We worship you. Declaring his worth. Lord, you mean so much to us. Lord, be exalted in it all. This is your work, not our work. This is your doing, not our doing. Lord, it's your power, not our power. And because of that, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge your greatness. We're going to sing. We're going to sing. Josh, you want to come up? I think about how much, as we close, how much the nation of Israel, even David himself, would have missed out on had they placed their trust in the natural, in themselves. And they could have. And who knows, maybe they would have been victorious. I don't know. But I think they would have missed out on the Lord's power, the Lord's fighting for them, defending them, bringing them the victory. There's a lot similar. You, you go through Kings or, or Chronicles, and I had the pleasure of, of teaching through Chronicles, and so I, I got to see just up close the victories that God would provide for his people when they would just trust him. This, this week, I've uh, just been thinking about Jehoshaphat again. He's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Lord, and he's just crying out to the Lord. There's, I think there's three armies coming up against the nation of Judah. And Jehoshaphat's, Lord, Lord, we're powerless. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the Lord meets them there. They cry out to the Lord. They proclaim victory before victory was even theirs because they were so trusting in the Lord. They would have never never experienced that kind of victory. They would have never seen the providence of God, the blessing of God, the provision of God if they wouldn't have trusted in him. And the same goes for you and I tonight. How much do we miss out on seeing the hand of the Lord in our lives because we just don't want to trust him. It's too hard. We don't put ourselves in situations where we would be in trouble if he doesn't come through. I'm guilty. I am guilty of that. But I want faith like that. I want to live my life, church, in a way that says, Lord, I'm trusting you. It doesn't make sense on paper, but I'm going to trust you. And if you don't come through, I'm going to be in trouble. That's how much I need to trust you. And tonight, I think the Lord would have you raise your victory banner before the victory happens. And that's a kind of a weird saying and, and that the Lord really ministered that to me. So if that's just a word for me and, and my wife, um, uh, that might just be it. But if that's a word for you, maybe the Lord is asking you though to do something, to step out in faith, to trust him in an area in your life, but you're waiting for solid ground before you step out of the boat. Listen, for a lot, a lot of us, and I'm guilty of this, I'm saying, Lord, just show me and I'll do it. And oftentimes, how often does the Lord say, no, 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 just do it and I'll show you. 
tonight, would you trust him in a way that says, Lord, I don't understand this. Everyone else is counting the numbers. They're crunching numbers, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to step out in faith so that I can see the victory that only you can provide for me, God. So that you can be glorified in this. Not man, not in my strategic plan, but you, God, you alone. I want to see you moving in my life the victory that only you can provide. Lord, tonight I pray that just over my life, I pray that, Lord, over just my brothers and sisters here in this room, whatever they're going through in their life, maybe you are, you're calling someone to step out in faith and to trust you and it's scary. It's freaking them out and they're, they're up at night and they're sweating and they're just, they don't know how it, it's gonna look in the future. Lord, would you just increase their faith to trust you? Would they just have the confidence to raise their banners and God, it's gonna come through for me. We're gonna be victorious. Lord, we wanna trust you with everything in our lives. I just pray, God, you would bring us to those situations and give us those opportunities that we can show you that we trust you so easy to say, it's so easy to pray. But Lord, we actually want to walk by faith. Live a life of faith so that God, you would just be ever so big in our lives. So Lord, we just submit, we surrender to you. However, your spirit wants to minister to our hearts as we just sit before you. God, we just give you permission. We just invite you to have your way. Give us the faith. Give us the confidence to trust you, to step out of the boat.